have good news for you. We are all, if we know Jesus, holy runners. We're in training as we run the race of faith today to share in the victory of Christ in heaven in the day to come. Let us pray. Father, as we continue our consideration of Hebrews, as we come to chapter 12 and as we consider him who endured so much for our sake, Lord, teach us about running the race of faith. Teach us about endurance. Teach us not to despise your discipline. Teach us to run and to trust you to make us more and more holy. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll be reading today from Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 3 through verse 17. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For, the, for they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today we'll look at three things, and they're in the sermon outline that you have before you. Jesus inspires us to endure in the race of faith. Secondly, that we would be disciplined by God. Thirdly, for the purpose of making us holy. First, the believer is inspired for endurance. We see this in verses 3 through 4. Look at verse 3. Consider him who endured. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 that we considered last week, believers are called to the race of faith 
and to run it with endurance. And the way that we were told to run it with endurance is to lay aside every weight and sin that clings to us, that entangles us, that, that hinders us, that distracts us. And we are to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who blazed the trail of faith by suffering on the cross to the very throne room of God, where we are guaranteed as his children to follow him and to finish the race and share in his victory. In 1945, our war-weary nation was inspired. In February and March of that year, U.S. Marines fought 12,000 Japanese forces on the island of Iwo Jima, a 20-square-kilometer island in the Pacific. Our forces, our Marines prevailed in one of the most crucial battles and one of the most costly battles of World War II. And even as I mentioned the word Iwo Jima, you may have in your mind the iconic symbol of that battle. Five Marines and one Navy corpsman who raised the American flag on Mount Suribachi. It became an inspiration to our war-weary nation, and it still inspires us today. Ultimate inspiration, however, is not a flag raised on Iwo Jima, but a cross raised on Calvary. Now in verses 3 through 4, the author describes a problem. Believers often grow weary and faint-hearted, our text says, as we seek to live by faith and as we struggle with sin, the, the, the hindrances and the distractions that cling so closely to us. In verse 4, the author affirms that the Jewish believers to whom he wrote this letter originally were struggling against sin and against sinners. They, they were suffering the sin of other people as they were being persecuted and pressured to forsake Christ and return to Judaism. But perhaps the greatest struggle with sin was their own sin that dwelled in their hearts. As great as their struggle was, both from without and from within, our author says that they had not suffered to the point of martyrdom. Shedding of blood means dying for the faith. The sin against which they were struggling primarily was the sin of others and their own sin. And the question is this, would they fail to endure? Would they succumb to the pressure? Would they deny Christ and would they flee after their sinful passions? Those beleaguered saints needed to be inspired. They needed to be inspired to endure in the race of faith. And we see this inspiration in verse 3. Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And to consider is, is, is to carefully think about something or someone. 
In the case of our text today, it, the, the author is directing those, those saints who were so pressed both outwardly and within to abandon the faith. He directed them to think about all that Jesus had endured for their sake on the cross in order to be the author and perfecter of our faith. Consider him and all that he endured that you will not grow weary and become faint-hearted. The original recipients had not, been, had not given up their lives and martyred in verse 4, but Jesus did. He gave up his life. He shed his blood. He faced extreme hostility from sinners. The Jews, the Roman government, the soldiers that carried out the execution order, even his disciples caused him heartache. But his suffering at the hands of the Jews and the Romans was the greatest degree of suffering ever. It amounted to all the suffering of all the people in all of human history just focused on one man on a cross, the man Jesus, our Lord and Savior. The shame he bore is unmatched in all human history. Unjustly condemned and crucified between two criminals. The anguish he endured in being forsaken by the Father was of a cosmic proportion. The death he died and the blood he shed was not for himself, not for his sin. He was perfect, but for wretched sinners, I might add, like you and me. Consider Jesus suffered more than anyone, yet he did not grow weary and faint-hearted. He endured, and he blazed the trail of faith to the very throne of God in heaven. Most of us can identify with the problem of, of growing weary and faint-hearted in the race of faith as we struggle with our own sin, and sometimes when we struggle because of the sin of other people against us. Maybe it's a besetting sin that, that we have confessed time and time again and again and again and again. We keep struggling with it. Maybe it is the sinful actions of another person that just weighs on us. We live in a fallen world, and, and this means life is not as it should be. Growing weary and faint-hearted may come because of sickness, because of loss, because of conflict, because of all sorts of afflictions that are real possibilities in our life. Every day, it seems, is a fight against our sinful thoughts, our sinful words, our sinful deeds. It seems, and I don't think this is too outrageous of a statement, but it seems that every step of the race, we are dealing with things that hinder us, 
and distract us, things that cling to us, that weigh us down, and things that are sin, and we grow weary and faint-hearted. If you are like me, and I assume that you are, you would say along with me that it is a struggle to endure. Amid our struggles to endure our own sin and the sin of others, we may be tempted to give up and quit. So what does the author tell us to do? What did the author tell the Jewish believers to whom he wrote this letter originally to do? Acknowledging they were struggling, they were they probably wanted to quit. He said, be inspired to stay in the race and keep running. Look to Jesus and his endurance on the cross. Look to Jesus who blazed the trail of faith for you to follow. Look for Jesus who ascended to the right hand of the Father and sits on the throne. Look to Jesus to whom you are to follow and he guarantees that you'll not only run the race, but you'll finish the race and be with him and share in his victory before the throne of God in heaven. Today, will we consider him who endured? Secondly, the believer is inspired to endure for discipline. We, we see this in verses uh, 5 through 11. And look at verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. One of the most difficult things, in my judgment, for Christian parents to grapple with is a child who grows up in a believing home and a church and later in life abandons the faith. This can cause parents uh, not only heartache, which it surely does, but a good bit of shame. What did we do wrong? And then we go to this scripture, Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And there's even more shame for being an utter failure as a Christian parent. But is this a promise? One of my Old Testament professors, Doug Stewart, commented during one class that Proverbs 22.6, as printed in most of our English Bibles, and certainly in the King James Bible, was actually mistranslated as a promise in the King James Bible. And since the, the King James Bible is so revered amongst uh, Christians throughout the ages, modern translations did not want to risk not selling Bibles by actually correcting this mistranslation. And so they just continued on with it. And the mistranslation is due uh, to uh, one of two words in the English actually being added to the Hebrew text. And the two words are right and should. So if you go, I'm reading out of the ESV, maybe you are as well. So if you look at 
Proverbs 22, 6, train up in a child in the way he should go, or train up a child in the right way, and he's not going to depart from it. You do your job, he won't depart from it. It's a promise, right? But, but those words don't appear in the Hebrew text. They were added. To probably try to make it flow a little bit better. A more accurate translation is this. Train a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train a child in his way. One commentator suggests, if you give a child his way when he is young, then when he is old, he will not depart from it. And one of the lessons of Proverbs is the foolishness of children who follow their own way. And a right understanding of Proverbs 22, 6, it's not a promise, it's a warning to those who fail to discipline their children. The exhortation to run the race of faith with endurance, verses 1 through 2 in chapter 12, is not merely for finishing, but also for what God is doing in us along the way. We endure in the race for God to discipline us as we run, verses 5 through 11. Endurance and discipline are essential to crossing the finish line. And there are two aspects of the nature of discipline I want to just bring to your attention this morning. The author shows us the perspective on discipline that, that we are to have. Look at verse, verses uh, 6 and 7. For, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. God is treating you as sons. I mean, the author appeals to Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 that Tom read earlier and, and they're quoted in Hebrews 12, 5 through 6. So our Hebrews passage as well as Proverbs 3 link inseparably the fatherly love of God and the discipline of his sons and daughters. They go together. God loves us, therefore we are disciplined. We are God's children, therefore he disciplines us. However you want to say it. Thus the runner in the race of faith runs as a child of God. Sonship, adoption, the Galatians 4 passage we profess earlier today. And because we are his children, he loves us. And one of the primary ways his love is manifested in our life is that he disciplines us. Verses 7 through 8 says, to, to be a son means you are disciplined by your father. And then he goes on to say, quite in a startling way, and if discipline is absent, you're illegitimate children. That's just how essential discipline is to show the surpassing greatness of God's love and the value of his discipline he gives a lesser to the greater argument in verses 9 through 10 faithful earthly fathers discipline their children and they are respected for it maybe not immediately but eventually <laughs> But the earthly father's discipline is imperfect, the text says, as it seemed best to them. And it's also limited, the text says, 
that fathers discipline for a short time. But the greater God's discipline is perfect, it's for our good. And it is for eternity that we might share in his holiness. So receive God's discipline as God loving you as his son and daughter. It's for our good and it's for eternity that we would share in his holiness in heaven. But there's another aspect of the nature of discipline. And this is my paraphrase of it. Discipline is never fun. Really, as parents, it's not fun. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And you can just see the child go, yeah, right. <laughs> Renee and I, well, I better not say this because we might get in trouble because Renee and I did practice a certain type of discipline and it worked. But our children always said, Dad, we preferred you to discipline us, not Mom. <laughs> Just let your imagination go there. So verse 11, you know, discipline is not fun. But that is the understatement of the ages. Of course, yes, it is not fun to discipline, and it's not fun to be disciplined, but we should not despise it. That's what Proverbs 3 says. That's what the author quotes in our text today. Why? Because it produces, the, the text says in, in verse 11, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I just recall uh, C. Samuel Storms in, in his book about holiness. He, he says this, God is more interested in your holiness than your happiness. I think parents need to be more interested that their children have a heart for God than their children's happiness. I think we need to receive God's discipline because he's more concerned with us being holy than with us being happy. Endurance in the race is for God's discipline along the way. God is the perfect parent. He disciplines his children so they do not go their own way, but his. God's discipline epitomizes the right understanding of Proverbs 22 and verse 6. He breaks us. That we would go his way for our good. For earthly parents have no guarantee that if they discipline their children according to Scripture, they will walk with the Lord later in life. We endure for God's discipline, and we are guaranteed to finish if we are in Christ and share in the victory. May we desire God's discipline, rest in it, not despise it, and see God working for our good that we would share in his holiness in heaven. That's a perspective we should have. And then third, the, the believer is inspired to <clears throat> endure for discipline for the purpose of holiness. Verse 4, strive 
strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 4. If, if you run with any regularity, you have likely suffered an injury. Uh, my running career is not if I get injured, but when and what body part. I've tried to run through injuries in the past, and it's rarely worked out well. And so part of the recovery includes resting from running. You just need to stop running and let your, your ankle or your knee or whatever's injured heal up. But here's something that is interesting. This race of faith in the Christian life, our author says, in no way rests from running. Get yourself up, pull yourself together, and keep on running. Run through the sin. Run through the affliction. Run through the injuries. Run through the insults. Run. <laughs> Don't rest. It's just a different tactic. In response to the believer being inspired by the cross to endure for the purpose of, of discipline, verses 3 through 11, they're being made holy, and the author exhorts them in verses 12 through 13, therefore lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Get up and get to running. Run through the pain. These verses are based on Isaiah 35 and verses 3 through 4, where we find God promising his people, the ransomed, that all who trust in him will possess the future everlasting joy. Therefore, he says in Isaiah, strengthen the weak hands and make firm feeble knees. Be strong, fear not. Isaiah said to the people of God, get up, <laughs> don't stop, keep moving. Be of strong courage. Be in the race. Run through the infirmities, the affliction, the injuries. You know, I'm sure the commanders on the field in the Battle of Iwo Jima in 1945 ordered their men. Now listen, I've never been in battle before. I've been in some battles, but it's usually at Presbytery or... No, I've never... I've never had people shoot at me before, and I've never shot at anyone, just so you know. And so I really don't know what I'm talking about. But I can't imagine that in a heated, intense battle like the Battle of Iwo Jima, there were a lot of Marines who were faint-hearted and weary, and I can just see their commanders saying, men, push forward. Keep fighting. Keep in the battle. And this is what our author is telling us, those of us who are in the race of faith. No matter how much we want to quit, no matter how hard the discipline is, no, no matter how severe the pain, trust the Lord for strength and grace to run through it because we're striving for holiness. 
in Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 through 13, here the Apostle Paul helps us understand what the author of Hebrews is telling us here. He's really speaking about salvation and in particular sanctification when, when Paul says that God is working in us. But just before Paul said, God is at work in us, he calls us to work out our own salvation or our own sanctification with fear and trembling. And Paul said, work out your own sanctification, fear and trembling because it is based on the fact that God is working in us, enabling us to work out our own salvation. Put it in terms of Hebrews 12, enabling us. God is enabling us to run the race of faith, to endure, to receive his discipline as a gift that we might pursue holy living. God is enabling us to do that. We surely can't do it in our own strength. And the main point of verses 14 through 17 is, is, is running this race of faith by striving to live a holy life, sanctification. And, and, and what does striving to live a holy life, what does sanctification look like? The author gives us a couple of examples. This is not an exclusive list. This is just representative. A holy life is one that pursues peace. Look at verse 14. One that is dependent on grace, there in verse 15. One that does not allow a root of bitterness to spring up, resulting in trouble and defilement, verse 15 as well. A life that is sexually responsible in, in fleeing sexual immorality, verse 16. A life that is unlike Esau, who was unholy and irreligious, treating his birthright with contempt and rejecting it. And though Esau desired the blessing and wanted the benefits of that blessing, even weeping because he didn't have it, it is clear the author's point is that he was not really sorry for what he did. He did not truly repent. That's what the author means by the opportunity to repent had passed Esau by. It's because Esau was not willing to repent. And so here, here is the lesson for, for, for you and me uh, today. And it's, it's very simply this. Uh, don't be like Esau. Unwilling to repent. We struggle with sin. Therefore, sometimes, maybe not all the time, but certainly some of the time, unholiness characterizes our lives rather than holiness. And when we are injured and fall and experience lameness in the race where we are hindered and distracted, where we uh, want to give up is mostly due because of sin. It could be sin of another person against us, but more than likely it is sin spewing out of our own hearts. And here's the point I want to make. No one grows in holiness, and no one progresses in sanctification, and no one 
runs the race of faith without repentance. The Lord's discipline is merciful in that it points out sin in our lives. And where there is sin and the Lord points it out, he leads us to repentance. When we repent, when we truly repent, when we're sorrowful over our sin, we acknowledge it, we own it, we hate it, we confess it. We view it as, I sinned against you, God. This is an offense against you. And I'm devastated because of it. When we repent truly, deeply in our hearts, when, by the way, sometimes we, well, sometimes I repent. I I won't include you in this. Sometimes I repent, and and what I'm looking for is relief, (laughs) you know, from, from the consequences. I'm kind of like the Israelites in Hosea chapter 6, by the way. Maybe you are too. But that's not true repentance, relief. True repentance is being broken and crying out from our heart, as Hosea 7 tells us, saying that we've, we've offended holy God and we're crushed by it. But then when we truly repent, we're forgiven. And we are restored to a right relationship with God. And he, in turn, enables us to run the race with endurance, having been disciplined, striving for holiness. In other words, we need to be careful that when the, the text says that no one will see God apart from holiness, it, it, it doesn't mean that we are saved because we live a holy life. No, we're saved because of Christ. But we're saved for living a holy life. And God perseveres us by sovereignly working through our own obedience as his means to persevere us. It really is all a work of God. But the point I want to make is that we need to strive and pursue God in holiness. That indicates that indeed we have a changed life. The author says, repent, be forgiven, be renewed, and get yourself up and back into the race and run. Pursuing holiness, a holy life. Verse 14 says, indeed, holiness is important. We are enabled by God to repent of unholiness and renewed to live a holy life. He enables us to do both of those things. And we persevere even to the finish line. Those who run um, races prepare weeks and months before the competition. A family member of mine ran a half Ironman competition, 70.3 if you're interested, uh, several years ago. And he trained and trained and trained. Had, he had a schedule for training and swimming, a uh, schedule for his bike training, a schedule for running, a special diet. He put all kinds of, of effort into training to compete in this race. And that's the right thing to do. And by the way, his training paid off because he, he finished. 
which is really good. But Hebrews 12 teaches this. The race of faith is training and preparation. Trusting in God, may we strive to be holy runners in training as we run the race of faith today to share in the victory in heaven in the day to come. The race of faith is training and preparation. May we give our all to it. Trust in God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you call us to be holy, and we are so grateful for the blessing of repentance because of this. So often we, we struggle. Father, we thank you for your discipline that shows us our sin. And the end result is that you are making us more and more holy each and every day. Father, I pray that you would encourage us today to continue to seek you, to trust you, to realize that, that we are saved to be in this race. We are saved to endure. We are saved to be disciplined by you. And we are saved to live a holy life by your enabling grace. And so I pray, Father, that you would indeed make us holy runners, not holy because of our own personal holiness, but that which you're working in us and certainly the holiness that is our position before you, the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ that is our standing. And we pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.